another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Armando, a.k.a. Hot Take Mondo, and I am joined by my friend Reese, a.k.a. the Reese Incarnate Bach Lesnar. And football is back, baby. It's back. FCSM is back, baby. I mean, we've been here, but like... These episodes with Reese when we break down the Chiefs are just the most stonkiest, the most drippiest episodes you're ever going to hear. And I'm just trying to hype us up because we might have some new listeners today. I mean, every year we get a couple new people or hundreds of new people, dare I say, that want to listen to Chiefs content and you're getting the best content here. But not only that, you're getting two good friends in Reese and Armando. Reese. How are you today after a glorious, glorious Chiefs win on Sunday? Dude, I'm so giddy. I'm hitting the gritty over here in Kansas City. I'm just, it's, <laughs> it was great. The team, we'll get into this later, but the team hasn't looked that good since probably pre Kareem Hunt kicking scandal. Am I right? Wow. Wow. I'm just um, coming off hot takes. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember when the last time we scored 44 points. It, I mean, it had to have been. It wasn't last year, right? It wasn't 2020 either. It could have been 2019. It was probably Texans during the Super Bowl run in the playoffs. Oh, that's right. That'd be my guess. But I feel guess. like for, but that was out of necessity. Like we had to score 44 points where this was like we scored 44 points on accident. Well, okay. So if, if we're, we're going to say that, then the first game that popped into my mind was the Cincinnati Bengals in 2019. Pat's first year wow. starting. Because that was still that's so long ago, right? Because because it was kind of a similar situation where it's like two teams that are like this could this team could make some noise. This team might be ready to make some noise, and like we just went in there, executed and executed the other team. <laughs> yeah, because like the the like most memorable Patrick Mahomes offensive games were only due to. Kansas City's defense being awful, right? Like, yes. talk about uh, Kansas City and the Rams in Mexico. Uh, like you just said, Kansas City and Houston. Like, those were all out of necessity because our defense wasn't doing very well. Here's a very unique situation where just our offensive playbook is amazing, and then the Cardinals just couldn't get it done on the other side. For sure, and let's be honest here. This was this was a beatdown. This was thirty-seven-seven going into the fourth quarter. Yeah. The only reason the Cardinals over. put up fourteen points is it was garbage time. We had the, our second stringers in, and we we're playing prevent defense. That was, you know, we took our foot off the gas just to get off that little league field. Because I, I kid you not, did you see how terrible that field quality was? No, you you had mentioned that like when when Butkert had injured himself, but I like what what did you see on your end that caught your eye? Because I I couldn't really tell at all, honestly. There were chunks of turf everywhere on that field, and I'm like, isn't this kind of? I wonder why, because it's a dome. It's not even open. It's a it's a dome, but it's one of those fields where they can pull out the field and store it somewhere. I think that they showed that in this like one of the, you know one of those uh montages between commercials where like the nfl is brought to you by budweiser you know and they're showing the, the grounds crew like rolling the field out so my guess is that field lives somewhere when it's not being used and it doesn't look like it's at, it doesn't look like it's a uh, actually turf let me look this up maybe it had black mold on it and they just had to like cut it up because they left it in someone's garage on accident they're like oh crap we got our football game ah give a good point good point okay let's see here <laughs> State Farm Stadium turf. 
about retractable playing field, the rollout natural grass playing field. So it is trash natural natural grass that like probably lives under some guy like a, a giant connection of those UV lights that stoners use to grow weed in their closet. <laughs> That's probably all it is. Walter White is is behind all the like yeah right <laughs> turf it's stored in in uh, Albuquerque. I behind <laughs> Gus's chicken. Uh, I am the one who trips your kicker. <laughs> Speaking about tripping kickers, actually this has nothing to do with tripping kickers, but the AFC West sucks. Well, okay, <laughs> the AFC West doesn't suck, but out of the gate, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Well, okay, Reese, you agree both of us thought that the AFC West was the division to beat in the NFL, and it wasn't even close, right? Yeah, I agree. And I, I, I think these past two games, so right now, Reese and I are recording on Monday night. We are in, what are we, in the third quarter right now of Broncos Seahawks. Let's talk about Broncos Seahawks first, because that one is a little more blatant. I think the Chargers and the Raiders is a little more subjective as what we can think is going on there. But let's talk about Broncos, Char- uh, sorry, Broncos Seahawks. What what happened in this uh, uh, Broncos country let's ride revenge game? Well, before we talk about Russell Wilson and the Rough Riders. Uh, can we just talk about how kind of trippy it is to have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman calling the Monday Night Football games now? <laughs> am, I, am I crazy? So here's the thing for me. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman probably are the best commentating duo in professional football. I had a soft spot for Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. They're no longer a thing. Therefore, Buck and Aikman move up into the vacuum. But wow, even you, uh, uh, a Buck hater. Joe Buck is fine. He's better than Tony Romo, who just like someone needs to tell Tony Romo you don't have to talk and have an opinion every second of the game, and you can let things breathe. Dude, the number of I mean, times that's that's what happens when you have yes men all around you, though. Well, I mean that's totally it too, because like the number of times that he's wrong just because he has to like state his opinion on something. It's like no, dude, just let this breathe and play out. We don't need. You know, we don't need your, uh, I don't know, you know, when it's like, oh, that that's a catch. That's a catch. And it's like, the so ruling obviously on the field is not complete. <laughs> oh. So anyway, Bucket Aikman, I feel like they have a certain like really professional old school gravitas about them, which I almost feel is kind of contrarian to Monday Night Football because Monday, right. Fo- Monday Night Football has always had kind of like this quirky, uh, I don't know what you want to describe it, like alternative thing about him you know it's it's football on monday night and originally it was on abc which doesn't show any other football games but this one and it's different but like having the two most stable guys in the game calling monday night football takes away a bit of that like quirky fun that makes monday night football monday night football yeah, I think I think Thursday night football has now taken its place, and I'm sure eventually Wednesday night's going to take its place once we start getting another one. But I think Monday night football now, like, ratings are going to be ratings, right? They, they don't have to reinvent the wheel. 
everyone is going to be watching Monday Night Football. Just football is just way too popular. And and even though we got sports like the NBA, we got you know soccer that's trying to be nuanced. Like football is always king. And I think Monday Night Football is now established. People are watching Monday Night Football all the time. That's why you have the two stalwarts there, and then you have more of the created team like like the like Peyton whatever Peyton Manning's cast on Thursday, and now you have that happening on Thursdays. You know what? This might be a hot take. I think it would have been better all around if they just would have gotten Peyton in the broadcast booth. I think yeah, I think that's no, your totally. entire angle because Peyton's Peyton's your quirky, weird kind of comedian uncle that they've always tried to shoehorn in that show. Even back in like the '90s and 2000s, you know, the varying degrees of success. But I feel Peyton fits that whole while also bringing like astute points of professionalism. And I think that would be better for ratings and for the booth and for the vibe and ambiance of Monday Night Football. Yeah, yeah, because like when when you watch the the Peyton the Pey- or the Manning cast. He is like breaking down way too much, but is also really funny during it. I think that if he did have a broadcasting role and had the play-by-play, I think that would be much more fun and much more intricate and less him like stalling all the time when he's on the matting cast. I agree. And, you know, Pat McAfee is going to be doing like the big noon. I think he's doing the big noon games for Fox now for yeah. college football. But and he like, just got hired at ESPN, too. He's everywhere. How, he, how did you get those contracts? He is Isn't that a breach of contract or something working for all these networks. I mean, you'd think. But here's the thing, though. Peyton has built in credibility with being a two time Super Bowl champion and Hall of Fame quarterback that. You know, Pat McAfee will never have. Pat McAfee's entire gimmick is kind of that, like, he's this fratty bro gimmick, right? Mm-hmm, you know, right. but but Peyton, it's like there's Uncle Peyton and there's Peyton Manning, one of the top five quarterbacks of all time. Right, right, yeah. And you have both of those where you just have Pat McAfee who, like, punted. Yeah, punted and <laughs> with, got... With bl- Peyton. <laughs> Ironically, very true. Yeah, very good point. That's that's very coincidental. Uh, so that's just my thought on the on the new yeah. and improved Monday Night Football broadcast oh, booth. But unfortunately, what's not new and improved is this current game, Maurice. So break it down for us. What's going on with the with these Broncos? Is it because the Seahawks the the, the Seahawks are actually good, or are the Broncos actually bad? Uh, can it be both? I think it's a bit of yeah, both. Sure. I, I think Seattle. This definitely feels like one of those games where Seattle came out bringing their A game. And subsequently, they're keeping it pretty close. Uh, but what's weird is that like Denver's really moved the ball a lot in this game, up and down. They just haven't been able to put points on the board. They've had two goal line fumbles, which is not like them. I, I don't think it's play out differently if either of those go in. But you know, it could potentially be thirty to seventeen right now, which might feel a little bit closer. But I, I don't feel like this Denver team's found a rhythm at all all game. They're not moving methodically. They're just finding these big blown coverages. Uh, Jamal Adams went out, you know, so that hurts Seattle's defense. But overall, it's 17-16 late in the fourth quarter. It's pretty sloppy right now. Yeah, I, I think that's what surprises me because on paper, this should be a blah. And even with a couple blunders, um, this shouldn't be happening. They should be executing. They have some great executors in Russell Wilson, in Melvin Gordon, in Javante Williams. Even Cortland Sutton can get the job done. So they have all the weapons and they're actually doing really well. I mean, Jerry Judah has 102 two yards right now. Cortland Sutton has 72. Uh, Russell Wilson's throwing for 320 um, on, 20, on 25 passes on 30. 37 attempts um yeah he's just he's just not getting the ball in the end zone which is 
kind of his mo in Seattle, Reese. I mean, mm-hmm. last look at last year's Seattle Seahawks team. Like they had an impressive offense, right? Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny looks great today, and Russell Wilson. Is it just Russell Wilson's mo that he just can't get the job done? I think it's very possible. I mean, I've said this a million times uh, prior to even last season. Where everyone's like, Russell Wilson's a surefire Hall of Famer, and I'm like. Is he? Hold on. Uh, no, a lot of people say this. They're like, well, he went to two Super Bowls. He won one. He really should have won two. I'm like, yeah, but he only won one. And when you think about it, I've broken this down. It's like Russell was maybe the sixth best player on either of those Seattle teams that made the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah. let's, let's say Legion of Boom here. So you got uh, Cam Chancellor. You got, uh, oh, I'm blanking Richard on Sherman. Sherman, thank you. Earl Thomas. Uh, I would say Marshawn Lynch was sure. better. Was Lockett on those teams? Uh, I think that was Prime Lockett. There was also one other wide receiver that's escaping my mind. You think of Golden think. Tate? But, but even then, let's say there's, we can't find that fifth guy. In that case, Russ is the fifth best player on that team as a quarterback. As a quarterback, I really think you could... Geno Smith probably could take those Seattle teams to the Super Bowl with just like how loaded they were on defense. That was entirely wow. a defensive-led performance. That was that was a hot take that I know Sam Esquire Jr. is going to be all on you when this, when this podcast comes out. Hey, <laughs> Russ does things well. That does not mean Russ is a good quarterback. Totally. No, no, that's, that's absolutely fair. I mean, we can use the argument with Kirk Cousins, right? Kirk, Kirk Cousins, he puts up the stats, he puts up the points, but he doesn't put up the wins. And, it's true. Oh, boy, I don't want to compare Russell Wilson with Kirk because I would I would obviously choose Russell over Kirk Cousins. But, yeah, we're, we're seeing something strange. It's kind of inexcusable for the Broncos. I'm sure the Broncos are going to win this. Like we, I know we have three minutes left, and it's 16-17 Seattle. And even if the Broncos pull this one out – Regardless of them winning, my perception of the Broncos has changed after today, right? I was I wouldn't be surprised if the Broncos reign king on the AFC West. But now after this game, I'm not saying that anymore. I mean, the Chiefs just blew out the Cardinals. The Cardinals, it's safe to say the Cardinals are better than the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, yeah. Let's... Let's let's at least say that Kyler Murray, like we we did see some strokes of genius against the uh, Chiefs. wasn't a lot, but we did see him, you know, make some good plays, uh, use his legs really efficiently in the third and fourth quarter. So it's safe to say that, like, what I was worried about is I was worried about the AFC West beating each other up because of the high caliber play and Broncos aren't showing me that today Reese so I'm very happy with this outcome even if the Broncos win I'm very happy with the outcome I cannot wait to play the Broncos I'm not afraid at all I mean come on go ahead Russell Wilson to Jerry Judy go ahead I'm I'm ready for it man I I love the way the Chiefs played um yesterday and we'll talk about that soon um but before we talk about that Reese let's talk about Chargers Raiders I know you and I didn't watch much of it because it was simultaneously um happening during the Chiefs and Cardinals game but um what does that score tell you about both these teams? 
You know, that's really difficult because at one point in this game, it was what, like 21 to 10, I think. And it looked like the Chargers might kind of pull away and really run away with this one. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, hats off to Vegas. There must be something in the water, but Vegas always plays the Chargers tight, as is evidenced by last year's near tie in <laughs> yeah. overtime. The snub. Uh, but I mean, we ran over the Raiders last year. I don't think this is a improved Raiders defense by any stretch. So it kind of perplexes me that the Los Angeles Chargers, with all the weapons they had, can only muster a very paltry 24 points on that Raiders team. What do you think? I have some question marks for their for their running game because Austin Eckler. Now remind me if I was wrong, but I don't think Eckler got injured. Yeah, no, I was I was very surprised, Reese, because. The Chargers could not get their running game going. Austin Eckler, 14 carries for 36 yards, averaging 2.6 yards uh, per carry with zero touchdowns. Um, and then the second guy, Joshua Kelly, four carries for 21 yards. Sony Michelle, the person that they recently signed from the Patriots, seven carries for 12 yards. So that's really what stunk him up because Justin Herbert had a decent game, 20, 26 uh, throws for 279 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. That's a solid game. So if they can't get the running, uh, you know, running the running game going, then that becomes a big issue. And I know the Raiders have have stocked up on D line and that's improved. But you're right. The Chargers like they played well, but they did not blow out the Raiders, which maybe they should have. And then conversely, I am happy to see a Derek Carr two touchdown, three interception game with a QBR rating of 26.9. Although Devontae Adams has 141 yards on 10 receptions. So look, this Raiders offense is only good because of Devontae Adams and like Darren Waller kind of, but that's not going to win you the AFC West as evident yesterday when the Chargers, you know, played really well. So again, I think the Chargers are still good. I think the Chargers can still win this division, but I am not spooky scared. I was spooky scared of the Chargers. You you know I'm a big Justin Herbert fan. The things that he does with the football, I'm so impressed with. Um, and I thought that their revamped defense was going to shut him out and it didn't really like of course they won but I don't know I it's I I'm being wishy-washy because I'm not really sure what I saw I'm just glad that we did not see a juggernaut performance from the Chargers the Raiders or the Broncos this weekend I agree I think that's really telling that nobody really stood out ahead of the pack you know I would say Denver looked mediocre to bad and I would say that the Chargers and the Raiders were probably pretty close to a wash, you know, with the Chargers having more yeah. talent and the better quarterback, so I give the edge to them. But had the Chargers come out and just like laid the smack down on the Raiders the way we laid the smack down on the Cardinals, then I'd be like, uh crap. Yeah. But one thing that's not being talked about enough is that a lot of these veteran additions that these teams brought in during free agency, I'm talking uh guys like Khalil Mack, you know, at all they're just that they're veterans they're older guys that they're kind of taking a gamble on saying like have we seen the best days of their production other than the back end of their career production wise what's going to happen so while we got younger and reloaded all these other teams are in win now mode with players that may or may not still have much left in the tank 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's clear that that Khalil Mack has still has stuff in the tank, and so does Bosa. Like they 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 did look good, but conversely, if you look at the Raiders, the Raiders couldn't get to Justin Herbert at all. Zero sacks yesterday, Reese, with this revamped, you know, Max Crosby being there. Who else? Rocky Asin. I know he's not in defensive line, but he's still very good. Um, Jonathan Abram is back from injury. Like these are all supposed to be really great guys. Chandler Jones. Two tackles. That's Yikes. it, Reese. Chandler Jones. So I, I think your your uh, your theory is correct. Where like they are spending a ton of money on these guys, and but if you can't get to the quarterback, who cares? So yeah. In in conclusion, I would give I would give the Chargers. I'll give them a B plus just because their stars did show out. I'll give the Raiders a C plus, and I'm giving the Broncos a D. Like you 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 cannot Monday night against your former team have a close game against Geno freaking Smith and Will Disley. I don't think so, dude. Disley, man. Uh, you know I think. I would probably grade the Chargers a very high B, not a B plus, but a high B. I'd give the Raiders a B minus, and I'd give the Broncos a C. That's kind of what I've seen so far. Excellent. And I would give this podcast an A plus, and I think our new listeners would also. Reese, because the new listeners are giving us A pluses, where can they donate on Patreon? And also, how can they follow us on social media? Man, if you really want to give this podcast an A+, just give it a rating. Give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. If you would like to follow us for some more crispy memes and high-quality sports content, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Fountain City Sports Media. And if you really like this podcast and you will become a true friend of the podcast, you can find us at patreon.com backslash FCSM, where the price of just one cup of coffee a month, you can support the high-quality content that Fountain City Sports Media brings you week after week, including finding outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews, and our latest series, Speedy and Angry, the 10-part deep-depth dive into the Fast and Furious franchise. Episode 6 is now streaming on Patreon. That is Fast 6. It's a really interesting installment in the franchise. It kind of helps transition the series into more of the heist film, action film content than it was earlier on in the franchise. And uh, just a heads up, after 6, we're going back and reviewing Fast and Furious 3, Tokyo Drift, where that canonically takes place after Fast 6. So patreon.com backslash fcsm check us out beautiful beautiful reese all right so now let's go ahead and go into the kansas city chiefs arizona cardinals week one game let's do a let's do our two favorite storylines from this game and then we'll go into the review or sorry the beer review and then we will um talk about the rest of the game after that so the kansas city chiefs demolish the Arizona Cardinals 44 to 21. I'm just going to read a couple stats for you, Reese, and then I'll let you kick it off. Patrick Mahomes in the post Tyreek Hill era was 30 of 39, 360 yards with five touchdowns. Holy moly. In the third quarter, Reese, before, no, actually, in the third quarter when Patrick Mahomes had five touchdowns, that was the same amount of times that the Chiefs had third down attempts. Wait, wait, wait. Run that stat by me one more time. 
All right. So this was posted in the third quarter. Patrick Mahomes has the same amount of touchdowns today that the Chiefs do third down attempts. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. <laughs> I love Absolutely it. Absolutely amazing. The whole day, the Chiefs had 66 offensive plays with 33 first downs. I mean, incredibly, incredibly efficient. Two more Patrick Mahomes stats, and then the floor is yours, Reese. Patrick Mahomes was blitzed on over half of his dropbacks, 54%. For the first time in his career, Patrick Mahomes threw a career high of four touchdowns versus the Blitz, tied for the most in a game um, in the next-gen stats era. So I guess the Cardinals do not watch film for the past five years that Patrick Mahomes has been a quarterback. Speaking of Patrick Mahomes' career, Patrick Mahomes is sixth on a list of, of quarterbacks that have had five-plus touchdown games, and those people are the following. Drew Brees had 11, Tom Brady has 9, Peyton Manning has 9, Ben Roethlisberger has 6, Dan Marino has 6, and now Patrick Mahomes has 6. Wow. Now, now Dan Marino had 6 touchdowns in 242 games. Patrick Mahomes has 6 in 64 games. Wow. That's a great stat. I love that. And, and I, just, I mean, I mean, the like best person next to Patrick Mahomes, maybe Peyton Manning, that slings the ball as much as Patrick does. Uh, Peyton Manning had nine of these games in 266 games. Wow. So it's safe to say that Patrick's about to s- demolish this stat. And I feel like, without looking at the stats, I feel like Peyton's best statistical seasons offensively were like those first three seasons with the Broncos, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, so a lot of that came kind of in the well, twilight of his career. Well, I mean, career. he did he did have some of the Colts. I mean, he did have one of those one of those Colts years. We can we can refer back to uh, to Alex. Yeah, I'll take an analysis of that. Name is. Uh, you know, I think this just speaks volumes on the team. And as you mentioned, I, I don't know why, but Arizona really felt committed to sending the blitz on Patrick as opposed to playing that too high shell that we've seen for the better part of the last two seasons or so, which I don't know if people think that now Tyreek's gone, they don't have to play us in a too high shell, which please, I, I welcome that. Yeah, we'll just, we'll gash you with a thousand paper cuts on the blitz, just finding a number of these guys that are wide open. I mean, for example, Justin Watson didn't have a reception yesterday. Did he even have a target? Looking nope. it up, uh, one target, excuse me, one target, no reception. So, I mean, we run deep. We run deep. Uh, I would like to say part of this has become the, is because the run game looked really good. The run game looked fine. I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire's opening series is probably one of the best opening series we've seen him have. But he still only finished with seven carries for 42 yards. Pacheco, 12 carries for 62 yards. Not too shabby. But... I think it's a combination of things. I think it's that the the Cardinals didn't feel like forcing us to force things, which was the Bengals' MO in the playoffs last year. And also, I was saying this all offseason. This is going to be a better offense than we had last year. We have so many better B to B plus weapons than we had in the past, where it was, it was just the Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey show, and then you could let your voice drop after that. But we had a lot of guys step up on big third downs. We had a lot of guys making catches that the Byron Pringles and uh, Demarcus Robinsons of the world haven't been able to make for the better part of the last two, three years. It was incredible. I think that's probably my first storyline off of this game. 
Absolutely, Reese. Yeah, I mean, if you if you kind of just skim through, Kelsey has nine targets, eight receptions. Juju just misses two targets. Um, Marquez Valdez-Scantley misses zero targets. CH misses zero targets. Ky- uh, Sky Moore misses zero targets. All these guys are catching the ball, man. No one's dropping the ball, and that's so important. And what people didn't realize from last year, we were talking about this all year, man, where people were tipping the ball, interceptions. You go back to all of Patrick Mahomes' interceptions, I bet more than 50%, I dare say 60% of Patrick Mahomes' interceptions last year were from tip passes. So those things really matter, and that adds up, right? Kansas City Chiefs scored 44 points. I think the big storyline here is Tyreek who? Tyreek what? We don't need a Tyreek Hill. Thank you, Tyreek Hill, for all you did. But after this offseason, after the things you were saying about Patrick Mahomes, comparing him to Tua Tungavailoa, everyone go on Twitter Twitter and type in Tua to Tyreek last yesterday. I mean, just like a blatant miss. Uh, Tua throws this like uh, throws this throws this ball to the ground. He's it's like twenty yards ahead of Tyreek Hill incredibly embarrassing and I say all these things because this was a national headline it was a headline that Patrick Mahomes doesn't have his star receiver he's in trouble we're never going to hear that again Reese even if we lose to the Chargers on Thursday we're never going to hear that again we have so many weapons just like you said and it's hard for the defenses to predict what's going on there is something to be said for for the Cardinals blitzing all the time like I brought up in the in the preseason, we're going to see a lot more press man. And that means that guys like MVS, guys like McCole Hardman, guys like Sky Moore, guys like Juju Smith-Schuster are now going to have way more space than they ever would have if Tyreek Hill was on this team. Because now we don't have this weird cover zero, this cover one, this cover two. And if they decide to do that, that's okay because we still have Travis Kelsey going in the slant. We have Sky Moore doing these beautiful beautiful routes. I mean, we will beat you every single way because Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in the NFL. You give him decent receivers like Reese said, you give him B to B plus and you demolish a team that was supposed to be in the playoffs and Super Bowl contention in the NFC and the Arizona Cardinals. You know, I think that's fair. That's all really fair to say. I know a lot of people were like, oh, Patrick Mahomes is doomed without Tyreek Hill. Here's the thing. I still think that Tyreek Hill is going to eat, even with two. I think Tyreek Hill is a generational talent. He's so fast. He's so skilled. I never said he wouldn't continue eating. I don't think he'll win a Super Bowl, but he's not going to stop eating. Now, subsequently, a lot of people are saying Patrick no longer will get his because Tyreek Hill has gone. No, I think Patrick is still going to get his because Tyreek Hill is gone. And I mean, let's look at it this way. Last year, let's use the third and sixth method we like to bring up a lot here. Last year, the people I trusted on third and six to make a reception or get open. Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill. I'll let my voice drop after this. I trust the following people on this team to find a way to get open on third and six. Travis Kelsey, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, Jarek McKinnon, Justin Watson, Jody Fortson, maybe even Noah Gray. That's eight guys that I trust to get open and find space and make a reception on a third and six. Do you know how astronomically different that is 
than just having Kelsey try and find a soft spot in the zone and Tyreek Hill honestly probably just doing his own thing in the secondary. I really think that's going to be huge. And how many times in this game do we see it's like, oh, it's third and medium. What's going to happen? Oh, look, Juju Smith-Schuster with his first catch all drive. Dude, Juju looked like a boss. It's like yeah. a 6'2", big-bodied wide receiver with good hands who can make his own plays. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this. I think this is great for the national media and like non-Chiefs fans to witness because they didn't realize how important it was for us to have that third, that fourth option. And even even Tyreek Hill last year, I know it's easy to say because not, he's not on the team anymore, but how many times did Tyreek Hill drop a ball? A lot, a oh, yeah. lot last year, Reese. So like even him, I was kind of worried about on third down, which made it really easy for teams like the Bills, teams like Cincinnati to play this gimmick defense that ended up working, right? I mean, even though we had beat the Buffalo Bills, it was hard. We didn't beat the Cincinnati Bengals. All these really good teams were able to play a gimmick defense that is no longer existent when you play the Kansas City Chiefs in 2022 and when you see them in the playoffs in 2023. I mean, I am fired up about this team, Reese. You can't blitz us. You can't play press man. You can't play zone. You can't play cover zero. Good luck. Now, of course, I'm saying this against like not a really good Arizona Cardinals defense. So I think I think this weekend. I mean, this this Thursday night's going to be a huge test. Um, but I'm just I'm just so fired up, so fired up, Reese. Um, let's talk about one more thing, and then we'll we'll review a beer. Reese, who is running back number one? Who is running back number two? Does it even matter? I don't know because Ch had himself a day. Ch seven carries for 42 yards, but three receptions for 32 yards with two touchdowns, which is a rarity. So, Reese, talk about CEH for us, and then you can talk about your boy, Pachek Goat. I think Clyde is obviously still running back one. You saw him not only start the game, but they featured him quite a bit in those first two drives. And admittedly, I will say that is probably the two best drives Clyde Edwards-Alaire has ever put together in his career as a Kansas City Chief. He knew what he was supposed to be doing on all of those plays. And of all things, he showed a lot more discretion and patience in finding lanes and hitting things that were there. It's like he suddenly discovered what his limits are, and now he knows how to play to them and play to those strengths. His decision-making was a lot better than I've seen in the past. He didn't just run it up the gut right away or hold the left trigger or hold the right trigger, as I like to call it when you're playing Madden. But, I mean, he looked really cool, calm, and he found some extra yards and spaces where it didn't look like there were many yards to be had. Isaiah Pacheco. I know it wasn't garbage time. But on the flip side of it being garbage time, they knew that we were going to be running the ball just to eat clock. So they were in run prevention defense. And Isaiah Pacheco still got his. Not only did he get his, he showed A, improved decision making from what we saw at Rutgers and in the preseason. There weren't too many plays where Patrick was pointing right afterwards saying you had a big hole there. Pacheco found those holes. Two, Pacheco did a lot of exciting things. 
He didn't bust off a huge run, but he had several runs of eight plus yards where there didn't seem to be anything there, but Pacheco found a way. I think the only cherry on top would have been in the first half when they ran that option play to the left and he couldn't quite turn the corner and get that first down. But then I'm giving him a pass. That was a very well defended play. Sure. But I just named off eight people earlier that I trust on third and six. You know what I trust more? I also trust a running back stable of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Isaiah Pacheco, and Jarek McKinnon more than I trust a running back stable of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Daryl Williams, and Derek Gore. And quite frankly, it's not even close. Absolutely. I, I am very excited for Isaiah Pacheco. I know I had said in the preseason that eventually Isaiah Pacheco will become running back one. I don't know. Because if we see more of CEH being involved in, in the in the receiving end, then I think CEH will maintain that running back one. But I don't think it's going to matter because at the end of the day, we're going to be up on a lot of these games, right? Like, yes, it's a tough schedule, but at the same time, we're going to be ahead. And I think that's going to allow Andy Reid to play Isaiah Pacheco more. Again, Isaiah had more carries than CH, albeit in garbage time, like you said, but he's also the only person that had a touchdown on the ground as well. So a lot of great things from Pacheco. Andy Reid could have just played Jared, Jared McKinnon the whole time. He didn't have to play Isaiah Pacheco in garbage time, but he decided to so that he can really beef up Pacheco, you know? So I think no matter what happens, I'm confident that Pacheco's going to be at least running back number two. And if he keeps up this production, I am confident in a CEH Pacheco duo in the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's, I wouldn't quite call it thunder and lightning, but it's at least salt and pepper. It's a dichotomy between two running backs that have different strengths and different styles. Totally, because like we talked about, we haven't seen a beefy guy in between the tackles with with a motor, with an energy, and with someone that's not afraid to get hit. We haven't seen that in a while since Kareem Hunt, where you see CEH, we're finally using him in the way that we've been waiting to see him be used when he was at LSU. He was a guy that can that can catch balls. That he can really be helpful in the receiving end and finally had two touchdowns in one game. I don't think he's ever done that before for the Kansas City Chiefs on the receiving end. So look, if if it can be thunder and lightning, like you said, salt and pepper, have CEH facilitate a lot of that and have some extra places while Pacheco goes into the middle and just hammers it in. Let's freaking go. Last thing I'll say about Isaiah Pacheco before we go is I do have to say Jim Nance has to hold the L because when he was talking about Pacheco, he's like, Pacheco might not have that speed you're looking for. And I'm like, bro, he ran a 4.37 at the combine. He was the fastest wide receiver, (laughs) fastest running back and one of the fastest 40 times in the entire combine. It's like, do your research a little bit. Come on, dude. And like, and something that I brought up in the, in the preseason that we saw again uh, yesterday is his, it's his the way that he's able to change direction on the fly and quickly right he goes to the i forgot what play it was where he had um what was his long long one a 22 yard he had a, a 122 yard carry where he's going right immediately jukes to the left and has this burst like come on like do you, you you don't even have to do your research the eye test is right there man my stocks in pacheco my stocks in ch and my stock in beer is about to be in a great 
company that I'm about to review. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. For those of you who don't know, we review beers on this podcast as well. It it kind of it, it kind of makes us stand out against all these Chiefs podcasts because yes, we all talk about the same stuff, but do they review beer? Maybe they don't. So check out this review because it's gonna be hot from Hot Take Mondo. Nice. I love it. I love it. It's everyone's favorite time of the podcast. That's right. It's time for This Week in Craft Beer, the segment of our show where we sit down and talk about what's going on this week in craft beer, as well as review a delicious craft beer for your listening pleasure. This week's story comes to us out of Paso Robles, California. And I'm, of course, talking about Firestone Walker Brewing Company. They have released recently released a collaboration with Cal Poly. Are you familiar with Cal Poly, Armando? The university? University. Yeah. They have recently re- introduced Cal Poly Gold, an all-malt lager featuring noble hops. Dude, that's pretty cool, is it not? Oh, dude. Again, lagers are are king loggers are king you do traditional noble hop for a logger it's the best it's the most hipster thing you can do and cal poly is very hipster so that that's fitting cal poly super hipster i love this can design i love the fact that it's a collaboration beer with the university it's like way to go regents and not being like so stuck up in your ivory towers that you let a beer collaboration like this happen this is easy money if i was going if i was going to luther and Toppling Goliath or Pulpit Rock released, like, I don't know, Viking Pilsner or something like that. Dude, I would be all over that. A, it would be delicious. B, that's all I would be crushing at tailgates. It would be everywhere. And this is Cal Poly. I don't know what the population of, like, the city that Cal, Cal Poly is in. Where, where's Cal Poly located? Cal Poly is... It's, like, 20 minutes from downtown L.A. It's... Closer to West Covina, I think. San Luis Obispo. Oh, I'm way off. Never mind. I've I've been to another Cal Poly. If it's in San Luis Obispo, that's like really that's like beach. That's like really nice. Dude, are you serious? Yeah. <sighs> Why didn't I go to Cal Poly? Dude, yeah. Dude, all those like Cal Poly, like Malibu or, or Pepperdine, like all those places are right off the beach. Oh. I'd go to Pepperdine. They got a good basketball school, don't they? Dude, oh, uh, I don't know. I was telling Logan, I was like, I was like, our, um, like when when her and I are gonna retire, we should we should just teach at like a really nice beach university that has oh. like a decent opera program where they're not hiring, you know, Lucas Meacham or like all these stars to teach there. Although they they do have um, uh, who your your friend uh, Craig uh, Craig McClough. Oh. Amer- wait, Cl- Craig Coclaw? Yeah, Craig. Craig teaches at Pepperdine, so like he, he definitely he really? has a, a cushy. Like, that's got to be a cushy job. Like maybe you're not getting paid a lot, but you have to get paid enough to live in Malibu. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's very true. Very true. So well, anyway, that is my dream job. Shout out Pepperdine. Would love to teach there someday. <laughs> Dude, so shout out Pepperdine. Shout out Cal Poly. That is the entire story of this week in craft beer. I just think that's really cool. <laughs> Sorry, I, I mean, started dreaming of the beach as you said that. I think part of the thing too is that like Cal Poly is not a huge brand as well. If uh, man, it's hard because I don't think that like Boulevard could do an adjacent to that because I know KU's right down the corridor, but like we're a Missouri brewery, so like all the Mizzou fans would get up in arms, even though nobody cares about Mizzou. 
Uh, wait, no, unless Carrington Harris is listening. Carrington Harris, sorry, t- don't hate our podcast. Dude, if you're listening, uh, tell us, because that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, gosh, we have to beep that out. Um, no, uh, I say that as an Iowa fan. To me, all college sports are Big Ten or nothing. Uh, no, but you know, KU's right on the corridor, too big of a brand. Mizzou's on the other side of the state, still too big of a brand. Like, what would we do that'd be the adjacent, like, cool hipster brand? Like, University of Kent of Missouri, Kansas City, Ruhop beer. Ruhop, gosh. Oh, Rubru. Ruhop. Oh, gross. Oh, gosh. I said this, I said this when we went to UMKC. So they had a roastery cafe, roastery being a right. big coffee mm-hmm. shop chain. They had a couple. And, uh, they had they had a roastery cafe in the library, and they called it like, uh, what was it like the? Oh, I don't even know something dumb like the Rue Coffee Shop or something like that. Yeah, and I'm just like, guys, who dropped the ball and didn't call it the Roostery? Come on, oh, it's, dude, <laughs> it sells itself. <laughs> That coffee also sells itself undefeated. Dude, you have an angry kangaroo like drawn by Walt Disney, literally, who's wearing a scarf. You put him in that like B-52 <laughs> bomber logo. That's like badass. <laughs> uh, obviously, Reese is in marketing. For those of you that don't know, Reese, Reese is with Boulevard Brewing and does some great work with them. You're too kind. You're too kind. Anyway, that's this week in craft beer. Armando, I hear you have a stonky, delicious beer you want to review on the show today. Oh, I got a great beer. I have this um, this liquor store that just opened up right by me, and I was like, I got to try it. And they call themselves a wine and spirits place. So I was like, okay, they're not going to have a great beer selection. So I was like, but I'll just walk in and see what's going on. Walk in, I'm like, hey, you got any like unique beers? And they're like, yeah, we got this one in the back. And I opened my eyes and I was like, I have never seen this beer before and I am so pumped. I have reviewed Blind Pig. I've reviewed, um, what else? Have uh, Pliny the Elder. I've never reviewed Pliny the Younger. But anyway, I'm a huge Russian River Brewing Company fan. Very oh. hard to find Russian River. Um, for some reason, we get a lot of it in Colorado. Uh, I think one of the owners, you know, has a friend that lives here or something but we always get stuff here and i've never seen them have just a standard west coast ipa and today i'm going to be reviewing a a new beer i didn't even know that they had this beer but it's called happy hops happy hops ipa by russian river and let me tell you a little bit about happy hops so happy hops is actually not stolen but taken from a brewery that was opened in santa rosa in 1944 called the grace brothers brewery and they had a a brewery and logo exactly like this i'll show you the logo old-fashioned dude holding a beer wow that's Um, cool they had a, a an IPA in the 1940s that they brewed um, there in Santa Rosa, California. So this is to pay homage to the Grace family, and I'm really excited to try it. I don't know what the hops are in it, but it it's just a standard West Coast IPA, and Russian River being one of the best breweries in the world, I'm excited to try it for y'all. Dude, what is it with you and going to liquor stores and having people be like, oh, yeah, I've got this magical thing in the back. That's like your and, M.O. And like, anywhere like, you go. They, I, I like go through the like freezer. I like put on my like North Face parka. Then I go into this ice chest and it starts to play music. And it's like, do, 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 do. Dude, if I ask him if there's anything in the back, they call the cops. <laughs> yeah, I got some I got some Bud Light apple flavor. 
shit. Remember Red Dog, that beer you were too oh, young gosh. to drink? Did you ever have Red Dog? No, but is this uh, when like every brewery tried to do some like cherry wheat thing? No, I don't even remember. What, I mean, I've never had Red Dog. I just remember the logo <laughs> distinctly when it came out. Like, I don't even know if they still make it. All right, you you look it up while I, while I crack this beer open. Okay, well, I'm going to crack this beer open, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we review things a little bit differently on this show. We have five categories, and we rate them one to ten, one being repug and ten being delicious. Those are appearance, aroma, flavor, mouthfeel, and aftertaste. Uh, Armando, so first is last. Appearance. Give that bear an appearance on a scale of one to ten for us. All right, this baby is a true... West Coast IPA. It is as clear as day. If you if you didn't know I was drinking an IPA, you'd think I'd be drinking a Pilsner or a Lager. I mean that that is super clean, super clear, which is a staple of Russian River. I mean they make the cleanest beers. I don't think I've ever had a hazy from them. I'm sure they do one, but again, we there's only three beers I've ever had of Russian River, and those are the only ones that you can get. So this actually this is my third ever Russian River. You know. Um, style that I've ever had, so I'm very excited. Right on, man. Um, looks clean, looks great. Nothing unique about it, but I don't think it needs to be unique. How about 9.1? Ooh, that's a good start. 9.1 yeah, on mean, the gotta, appearance. You gotta respect the goats, man. Gotta respect the goats. Okay, so then in that case, you have a West Coast IPA from Russian River. What does this smell like? Are we getting a lot of pine, a lot of dankness, a lot of resiny notes in that? Yeah, a, a big feature of Russian River IPAs that I've had is is the incredible dankness to it, but there's also a hint of sweetness. I get a little bit of pineapple, a little bit of mango, actually, which is very, very nice. Again, looking at the appearance of this beer, you shouldn't have any sweetness on it because like there shouldn't be any hazy quality, but somehow with this hot profile, I'm getting some nice sweet on it, so that's very nice. How about an 8 Point seven on the nose. All right, eight point seven on that snout. That's never in doubt. Then category number three, the most anticipated category of any beer review. It's gonna be flavor. So, oh, dude, why'd you tease me with that pour just now? (laughs) I had to to get some more head on this guy. Look at look at that foam. Yummy. It's beautiful, beautiful. All right, so what does that West Coast IPA taste like? Man, it's gold in the glass, baby. Oh boy, I'm I'm bringing a word back, Reese. We haven't had this word in a while, but this baby is crushable. Crushable. Oh my god. Crushable IPA. Oh my gosh, that's tasty. That is crispy, man. What's the ABV on that? Six point five. Wow. So I definitely should not be crushing this right now, but I mean that's that's nice ABV. Yeah, six five standard deviation. Not, not too of, crazy. Uh, normal. Not too crazy. Not too not too loggery. Mm. Yeah, man, this is great. Oh boy. Intense grapefruit. Intense. Um, intense rind. I actually don't get very much dankness anymore. I'm just getting really? a lot of that. Well, I guess you can associate dankness with bitter, but this is way much more on the on the bitter citrusy side of things. So sometimes we get bitter, piney, um, green, 
right? But this is more bitter in the sense of um, orange rind, grapefruit, even those hints of mango. So it's mm. a very nice balance of that bitter, but the citrusy sweet, which you know I love. I wouldn't refer it as, I wouldn't say it's juicy, but um, a really, really nice style. I don't know, uh, w w when we get a brewer on, I want to ask them about West Coast IPAs and, and how you make it more juicy without it being hazy. I'm sure there's an easy answer to that, but I'm unfamiliar. Uh, flavor is amazing. 9.5. Ooh, 9.5. Dude, Rush River makes some good stuff. I think the only thing I've ever had was... <laughs> It was a Pliny variant, and it was some other like super, just like massive bitter. Hot Where did you bomb have it uh, in Boulevard? Uh, no, a uh, friend of the podcast, Joel Guzman, cracked some on my birthday a couple years ago. Really? Was it Pliny it was the Younger? I don't think it was Pliny the Younger. It was like Pliny for President. You know, like one of those. Oh, that's right. I like, remember that. But that that is a variation of the uh, the Elder, I think, which is great. Oh, shout out to Joel. <laughs> Dude, Joel's clutch. Joel's yeah. real friend of the podcast. Good guy. Good guy. Uh, so. Then we are now on to aftertaste. What does this IPA blossom into the more time you spend after drinking it and just kind of sitting on it? This is this is where the pine comes in. This is where that true West Coast IPA style, less of the sweet, all the bitter on the back end, which is nice. You know, a great quality. I think some of the some of the best West Coast IPAs I've had, you know, shout out to well, I don't know if Hetty Topper, Hetty Topper is kind of a hybrid, but you do get a lot of West Coast on Hetty Topper. But shout out to Hetty Topper, shout out to Odell IPA. I mean, that's a prominent feature of their aftertaste is you get a lot of that bitterness and that dankness on the back end instead of the front, um, which is, to me, a sign of a really nice, clean beer. So, man, do I love that 9.2. Oh, 9.2. Dude, it's so funny that you mentioned Odell Brewing Company. I feel like there's some some of those macro breweries that I really want to get more into their stuff that it's just kind of like hard to find it around here. Uh, I would Even say Odell? O Odell. I mean, you can find Odell, but it's not everywhere. Mm -hmm. I'd say Odell, Sweetwater, and Alaska Brewing Company are three that like I'd really like to get more into. Where is Alaska? Is is that a dumb question? Is it in Alaska? I mean, yeah, but I think, uh, okay. is, is it Juno? <laughs> I'll look it up really quick. Okay. You know what? I don't think I've ever had any Alaskan beer or Alaskan beer company. Uh, Alaska Beer Brewing Company is, yeah. Oh, Juno. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Circle goes oh. to the square. Great. All, All right. right. All right, Jeopardy. Let, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then last but not least, uh, we are looking at mouth. Oh, we skipped mouthfeel. I'm sorry. Okay. Mouthfeel. What is the mouthfeel like on this delicious West Coast IPA? Is it kind of drying you out with all that grapefruit rindiness, or is it juicy? You know, this is fun because, like I said, aftertaste, you get a lot of dank. The flavor, you get a lot of the sweetness, but that bitter sweetness. The mouthfeel is really light and really crispy. Uh, again, I, I don't want to compare it to a lager, but man, you do get you do get some of that lager. Not as crazy as the cold IPA. I will say the cold IPA was the smoothest aftertaste I've ever had from an IPA, mm. the one we reviewed last week. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to go back, go, go back to our last episode when we reviewed the the IPL or the IPA, the cold IPA. Um, but this is very, very crispy, man. I, and that's why it's crushable because when you have something in your mouth, that's like full of flavor, but also light and crispy, you just want to, like, I can chug this thing and go for another one, but would be a bad idea. But man, that, that, that's a great aftertaste or sorry, uh, mouthfeel. 
9.7. Man, you're just throwing out straight and, daggers. And, and you know, like, I, I would love to give 10s for this one, but Reese and I have done over, I don't know, 100 and where are we at now? 100 and almost 120 beer reviews, probably. Something like that. Yeah, I mean, we've reviewed a lot of beers on this podcast, and because of that, we've reviewed some amazing beers, and, like, I would put this as a 10, but I keep referring back to, like, Hetty Topper. I keep referring back to some great, you know, Weldworks IPAs, some of Boulevards, and, like, it's just hard, man. Like, this is an amazing beer, but, again, we've we've had some meccas on this pod. Dude, uh, that's fair enough, safe to say. I'm excited about this west coast ipa that drinks like a lager that's very dangerous and that does sound like the formula for crushability i will i will buy one for you and, and keep it for you when you come next week oh my god they, they had a ton i mean because this this liquor store is new and and they don't advertise themselves as beer so they had a lot of great things that people just people aren't going into it so i'll take it it kind of sounds like the pairing that place we went into in the crossroads People don't go there. It's such a great place. Oh, they, they do, but like it's kind of advertises a little more like wine and spirits, you know, like uh, nice cocktail shop e. But God, the beer it's not selection like is like best something. in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, by yeah. far. I mean, that was. Uh, I lived in Kansas City for almost six years, and that that was the coolest liquor store I've ever been in Kansas City. Yeah, it was pretty dope. Uh, well, last but not least, our sixth and not so secret category: the Stonks Drinkability Quotient. This is the freestyle category, Armando. How does this beer make you feel? Oh, man. This this beer is great, man. Look, the Chiefs just dominated the Cardinals. Fountain City Sports Media is back in our stride. Like we, We're just having an incredible week, man. And to top off that, I'm having a Russian River beer. Again, for those of you that aren't beer aficionados, you don't have to be a beer aficionado, but those of you that aren't beer nerds. Like Russian River is really hard to find, so I'm just thankful to have any Russian River and to try a new Russian River and for it to slap like this one does. Happy Hops IPA makes Armando a happy hop. So how about a 9.8 on Stonk's Drinkability Quotient? Amazing beer for an amazing week. Wow. That was a great, that was a really great Stonk's Drinkability Quotient. Now, without a ten, does this have any qualification for Mount Crushmore? Uh, I've been I've been nervous this whole review because like I'm like this will come up. Reese will ask me this, and I will have to have an answer. I think between uh, Pliny the Elder, Blind Pig, and Happy Hops, I would say Pliny the Elder is still the best Russian River style okay. IPA that I've had. And I don't think we put Pliny on Mount Crushmore. I think we put Pliny on the summit at least. Like, look, yeah, we are we are not above anything here. Russian River is a gold standard when it comes to IPA. So we respect the goats. Um, but I wouldn't say this is the best Russian River beer I've had. It's very good. Um, so I'm not going to put it on Mount Crushmore. But again, I just will remind our audience that Pliny the Elder is on the summit of this Mount Crushmore, which is a very beloved and sacred list. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it. This has been another fantastic beer review from our friend Armando. And this has been another This Week in Craft Beer. Stay tuned. We're going to finish talking out about the Chiefs game against the Cardinals and look ahead to this week's matchup against the Chargers. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. We just had a great beer review. 
I am sipping on some happy hops from Russian River. And to end out the podcast, we're going to talk about some happy hopping that our defense was doing against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Reese, let's talk about let's talk about standout Nick Bolton, who we both predicted as um, a pro bowler for the 2022 NFL season. He had another 10 tackle game uh, with one tackle for a loss. He looked amazing. I think one thing that stood out just in general, I was always worried that we couldn't stop the run. There was a lot of that. But when you look at the stat lines, we actually did a decent job against the run. And I think Nick Bolton is one of the reasons for that. He's just he's just getting he's reading those offenses extremely well now. Like I think sometimes he would miss his gap, wouldn't fill in the gap and kind of miss some tackles, but now he's he looks sharp, man. I mean, he looks like he's going to be one of the leaders on this team this year, if not next year. Um, what did you see from Nick Bolton from this game? I mean, it was kind of assumed that he'd be the heir apparent for that green dot, being the field general of the defense this year. And lo and behold, one game in, he is not disappointed. He looks a little bit leaner, a little bit meaner than he did last year. He's, he's never been a big guy, but it looks like, no pun intended, he's kind of trimmed to the fat and now he's he's thinking less and instinctually doing more. All things considered, I don't think that Hitchens was a bad linebacker. I think he had good intentions and it was actually at a very high football IQ. He just didn't have an NFL level body. I think mm-hmm. at best he kind of averaged out to like a mediocre to average level NFL like linebacker. Nick Bolden is deceptively fast when he's making a move. He's not the best in coverage, although he seems to have shorn that up a little bit in the offseason. But when he knows what he wants to do and he locks on, he's a bit like a missile. And as you alluded to, we saw him shooting the gaps a lot this game, which he showed flashes of last season, but he was consistently doing it this game. And I tell you what, when he hits, he doesn't just hit you. He hits through you. He's going to take you down. He's going to hit you with everything he has, but he has a very good tackling form so I'm not as worried about him hurting himself the way I would some people in the past like say Ray Lewis or someone like Bob Sanders who played safety who just threw themselves into every play yeah no absolutely I mean there I'm going to use an example I, I just watched the Lions hard knocks trying to make a defense and trying to make a roster is incredibly hard so they like highlight these dudes that are like fourth and fifth stringers that are just dogs what I'm trying to say is everyone in the NFL is a dog. Everyone has, you know, the fire has, you know, to tackle. So when you can come out of, you know, all a hundred dogs, right. And you come out and you show yourself as a superior player, it's truly special. And that's what we're seeing in Nick Bolton, man. Like Nick Bolton, he does everything the right way, but also has this energy about him within a group of elite people. Right. And he's just, he's standing out. He's doing extremely well. I'm just, I'm so, happy with the way Nick's playing and I think our our Pro Bowl prediction is going very well Uh, let's see another how about you Reese any other standout that you saw on the defensive end or anything any storylines that you want to tell us about well I'm just going to paint the defense in some broad strokes here I think the defense looks improved on last year now do I think this is going to be a good defense yeah, it could be a good defense. Do I think it's going to be a top half of the NFL defense? 
Probably not. Not yet. Not this year. Uh, I will say there are kind of three big things of this defense that are a step up from last year. Number one, better team speed. We shed a lot of fat and got a lot of young players who are just faster and better athletes. Now, what I'm talking about is, you know, we got rid of dudes like Honey Badger. We got rid of dudes like Hitchens. uh, Charverius Ward, eh, kind of a wash. But those kind of dudes, they were just slow. That's the only way to describe them. They were just slow. They didn't hit hard. They were a little bit soft. Uh, The other thing is we got rid of what were the essentially the insta touchdowns on any given play which is Dan Sorensen and Ben Neiman and I think that's one reason why you didn't see this game get blown back open when it was around 20 uh, 20 to 7 is because we didn't have like the all of a sudden big 75 yard play from blown coverage by Dan Sorensen or Neiman that let the Cardinals back in this game We still saw a little bit of blown coverage, a lot of soft spots opening up, especially considering the the Cardinals were were without their two best receiving options. So there's going to be some growing pains, but this could be the most athletic and average defense Patrick Mahomes has had since joining the National Football League. (laughs) So I think... I think that bodes well pairing it with what we saw from the offense, which I already said is probably the best it's been and the closest it's looked to unstoppable since the uh, since the Kareem Hunt kick. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And we've talked about it for the past three years. All we need is an average defense to win the Super Bowl. That's all we've ever needed. Oh. And every, every time something happens, right, we got a Neiman, we got a Sorensen, we got a blown play by Frank Clark, we got Chris Jones playing the wrong position. I mean, all these things start to add up. We, we see doo-doo number one and doo-doo number two and Traverius Ward and Rashad Fenton when they were young. We always had those storylines, and I think... Again, it's only week one, but it's safe to say we didn't have any huge holes where you and I are, you know, coming in firing today where we did every single year. Right. This is our third season of the Chiefs that we've been talking podcast wise. And every year we always have, you know, yes, Patrick Mahomes did well, but this happened on defense and we have to fill this hole. We don't have that today or we're not really. Yes, there are things, but we're not having the fire on it. You know what I mean? I, I totally agree. And some of the things that did happen that weren't great, a little bit of it has to do with the fact that Kyler Murray's an escape artist and he's an improv sure. artist. You know, it's like he's super fast. He's got a good arm. We know that about him. He's going to find some plays. I know some people were a little upset that Karloftis was a little bit quiet compared to what we had seen in the preseason. But I thought he and Frank Clark did a really good job playing contain on Kyler Murray because Kyler really didn't gash us with his legs when you look at the box score. Uh, hold on, I'm going to pull it. Kyler Murray only five carries for 29 yards with a long of 21. So outside of that one run, he was four carries for eight yards. You know, I, I think that's important to look at. So I think the defensive line did what it was supposed to. I thought they did a really good job keeping Kyler Murray contained. I mean, if I may turn a phrase, I think the defense kind of no-scoped Kyler, man. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't go so far as to say no-scope because 
that's uh, that, that's Kyler Murray's domain there. But yeah, I mean, look, we we, we had four, no, we had three sacks still, and we had six QB hits on Kyler. Um, I think that is the only thing that I was missing from our defensive line. Is you did see Karloftis, you did see Chris Jones, you did see Frank Clark. Um, forcing pressure we saw a lot of QB pressure we just didn't see them get that final step so if we can get a sack from Karloftis a sack from Chris Jones a sack from Frank Clark in you know in those times where we need it on those third downs then that makes this team a little bit better than average right but we didn't see that and I, I was reading things about Karloftis and people saying oh you know he, he played it okay I thought he was great. I mean, from what I saw and like from him playing on that first snap, I mean, he's still swimming. He still has a ton of energy. And I think there's a lot of things that we saw George Karloftis do that are not going to show up on the stat sheet. So I'm hoping that people that made this like, oh, you know, George Karloftis had a C plus game or an average game. Uh, we're just looking at the stats because I thought from the eye test, he looked pretty good. The, again, the only thing that I'm missing that would make this team special is getting the sack from those guys because they look decent. So we'll see. I agree with everything you just said. All right, let's close it off then, Reese. So on a Thursday night, we got a quick turnaround. By the way, it looks like Patrick Mahomes' wrist is okay, so he'll, he'll be ready to go. I'm not worried about that injury that happened during the game. And again, he still scored five touchdowns, so I think he's okay. Uh, but we are going to play the Chargers on Thursday night, Reese. What is your prediction? What do you think is going to happen during that game? So I don't know what the Chargers injury report's looking like, but I do know we're pretty banged up after week one, which I have to say, this is not sour grapes, the Cardinals were playing a little dirty, if I can be honest. Uh, the, the hit that got Mahomes injured with his wrist, that guy came in pretty late. That was equivalent to that hit that hurt Rogers' collarbone three or four years ago, where it's like, you don't have to hit him, and he chose to hit him and drive him to the ground. He got his point across. He hurt Pat's wrist. Later on, I can't remember who it was, there was the false start that led to the roughing the passer from the same player, where it's like, dude, if you get a false start and a roughing the passer from the same play, it's like you're out to hit the quarterback and hurt the quarterback, which he kind of did. Also, there was that late hit out of bounds. Oh, yeah, that I saw him. And, 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 you know, that, that wasn't even close. Like, that was that was straight up towards, like, the outside of the out-of-bounds line that that hit happened. So I think the Cardinals decided to kind of play Jordan rules in this one. And they're like, we know we can't hang, so let's just try and injure him. Uh, but there were some other injuries, too. Trent McDuffie, I haven't heard exactly what he's out with yet. Uh, but Harrison Butker rolling his ankle, as I said, on that trash field turf they had. So... We don't have a bye week for another seven weeks, I think. Yeah. And uh, having a short week to prep for what is probably the best team in the division and one of the probably three or four hardest games we have on our schedule right now, this could be big. We don't want to fall behind the Chargers because, as I've said, they've got a third-place schedule, which is pretty ludicrous for a team that has that much talent. But if the offense clicks the way it did, and we're not giving them a bunch of stupid turnovers the way we were last year, and this defense can put the clamp on a team that might be missing Keenan Allen, I kind of like our chances. Home opener or arrowhead, it's going to be raucous. It's going to be rowdy. We're going to be out to take a real vice grip lead on this division 
where every game's going to count this year. Yeah, it looks like right now, as of today, Keenan Allen's questionable. J.C. Jackson's out for the game, and so is Donald Par- Parham Jr., who is their tight end. That's uh, actually pretty decent. For us, we have no one out. We just have a ton of questionables. The big ones are Trent McDuffie and OBJ. Um, but Allegretti played okay. You know, he didn't he didn't let a lot happen. To, again, Patrick Mahomes was sacked zero times, even with Allegretti there. So I think this is going to be the big test, Reese. We got Khalil Mack coming off of a three-sack game. We got Joey Bosa coming at Patrick Mahomes. This is the test. Yes, we just whooped on the Cardinals, but not that we whoop on the Chargers, but if we pull out the W... Everything that we saw against Arizona is going to reign true about the Kansas City Chiefs because the Chargers are nothing to laugh about. Yes, we just had the conversation at the beginning of the podcast about, all right, Chargers gave us a B-plus game against the Raiders. They're still good. They still got a great defense. So this is the true test, Reese. I want to see Patrick Mahomes throw three touchdowns. I want to see CEH and Isaiah Pacheco carving out that defense and I also want to see our defense I want to see our cornerbacks play against Mike Williams I want Keenan Allen to play so we can see Keenan Allen play right I want to see how our guys stack up against an incredible offense in Justin Herbert in Austin Eckler in um, in Mike Williams and all those boys over there man so I'm really excited because this then I can identify who this Kansas City Chiefs team is the Cardinals I can't really tell like yes we're very good but this game's going to tell me are we Super Bowl good or are we contender good you know I think it would be unbecoming of us to not talk about the Bills and the Rams really quick before the end of this podcast oh, sure. let's end it off uh, with just that just because they're going to be on our radar for the rest of the year and we're definitely on theirs, I don't think the regular season matchup matters. I think all that's going to matter is what happens when they play each other in the playoffs. Uh, but would you say that the Cardinals looked as good as the Rams looked when the Bills played them? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the Cardinals' offense at times looked the same as the, as the Rams' offense. Like, yes, Cooper Cup is amazing. Uh, nothing against that. That's it. That's all I can say about the strengths of the Rams. That is it. I can't say anything good about Matthew Stafford. I can't say anything good about Cam Akers or Daryl Henderson. I can't say anything good about Allen Robinson, who got zero targets in that offense. So, yes, they're Super Bowl champions, and yes, Cooper Cup is amazing. That's it. Is Cooper Cup going to win you a Super Bowl? Actually, Cooper Cup did win them a Super Bowl. But is Cooper Cup going to sustain you from week one to week seven when you have a huge target on your back? I don't think so. Kyler Murray, he is good, man. Like, yes, we beat them, but Kyler Murray, he's got the legs. He can still throw it. Marquise Brown looked good. Some dude named Dorch was their best wide receiver. I mean, yeah, that was that was a good that was a good offense. I, I agree, to be honest. And I was saying this last year where I thought that Super Bowl, part of the reason why I thought it was so underwhelming was it was probably the first time that I can remember my lifetime where neither of the teams playing were the best team in their conference, let alone maybe top three teams in their conference. Yeah, that's I mean, wild. Saw, wild. Yeah, I know. It's very wild. I still don't think the Bengals were a top three AFC team last year. And honestly, I think you would you could put the Packers and the 49ers and arguably maybe Tampa Bay above the Rams last year. Uh, yep. And I, I think that really came to roost this year in particular with Vaughn Miller gone, with Odell Beckham Jr. gone off that offense. 
the Rams look incredibly one-dimensional. Their offensive line looked terrible. I mean, don't get me wrong. These two things can be true without being mutually exclusive. The Bills played well, but the Rams looked bad. You know, I, totally. I don't think they, they... They didn't go in there and stomp some infallible team. They stomped a team that looked very flawed that had been showing cracks since last postseason. So... I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I really learned all that much from either teams going forward. Josh Allen continued playing very well like Josh sure. Allen did. Chiefs, on the other hand, showed me they believe in life after love without Tyreek Hill. Reese, I haven't been hot takey all day, so I have to do one hot take. And I don't even oh, think this is a it. hot take, but the Chiefs' win was far superior than the Bills' win against the Rams. I said it. Yes, the Bills are good. Josh Allen's great. But a five-touchdown game from Patrick Mahomes. Remember, Josh Allen had two interceptions. It's not like he was scot-free. That first half didn't look great. Yes, well, he he was like nine for nine, but he had two interceptions interceptions in the first half we can't let that go Patrick Mahomes had zero interceptions five touchdowns with no Tyreek Hill so I'm sorry the Kansas City Chiefs are better than the Bills after week one yeah I would say incrementally we can say the Chiefs offense is better than the Bills offense um I mean I think can 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 we say that MVS is better than Gabe Davis (laughs) Dude, Gabe, Gabe Davis has a knack for finding like holes in coverage. I don't know. That guy sniffs it out like a truffle hound. I got to give Gabe Davis that. Uh, I, I don't think I can say our defense is necessarily as good as the Bills defense. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, no, their, their defense is great. Well, I, again, I, but here's the thing. I don't know if I can say the Bills defense is great because I said this last year. You know, Patrick tore him up last year and was able to put you know a touchdown or a field goal on the board of 13 seconds. I, I don't think that's a game last year if, if we had this offense. You know, I think this offense, oh, yeah. we, we no, beat Bills, them. Bills would have to rewrite everything the week before if they had no Tyreek Hill and we had this offense. Yeah, because you can't play cover zero against these guys. You can't. Yeah, I, I still think the Bills defense, Von Miller impressed. I will yeah, say he Von looked Miller great. impressed. Von looked great. And, and it could have been Von Miller re- re- revenge game, right? It could have just been that. We'll see. You know, I, I I thought something about that too. The Von Miller revenge game meets you know Von Miller playing the Rams, so he kind of like knows their tendencies, their play calls, what these formations mean, and all that. So I mean, you you can't tell an, enough from both teams given the opponents they played. Other than I think the Chiefs are going to be better off without Tyreek Hill than people think, and that the Bills are going to continue doing Bills things against teams the caliber of the Rams. There you go. We are going to revisit this conversation next week when we talk about post-reaction to Chiefs Chargers because, again, that's going to really tell us who this Kansas City Chiefs team is. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We're so fired up about this Chiefs season. The Chiefs look great. We are a perfect 1-0. and oh. Patrick Mahomes has zero interceptions, five touchdowns. Let's freaking go. So, ladies and gentlemen, follow us on all of the Instagrams, all of the social medias like we've said, and we will see you next week. Let's go Chiefs! We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. 
Check out our website at FountainCitySportsMedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 